Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Wild Man Revolution podcast. And holy shit, finally, I've been able to get this man back on a podcast, um, both of our schedules. And, and, and he is someone who is traveling the world. Um, pretty sure he's in El Salvador right now. But Luki Mikic, it's great to have you back, mate, after them few cracking episodes we recorded early on. Um, a little bit on Luke. Luke, it is Luke is my mark. What is it? My markets expert. That's that's what I'm claiming now. He's my go-to. Um, <laughs> I'll put that markets. on a resume. <laughs> <laughs> all things markets. Um, all things Klaus Schwab. I think he's his love child. Um, <laughs> no sarcasm there. Um, but I know today we've got some really, really, really powerful stuff to drop into, man. And it's so good to have you back on. Um, how you been? It's good to be here, mate. Thanks again for having me. I always love coming on the podcast. Um, I've been great. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm epic, man. I'm epic. It's um, it's been busy, busy, busy. All the things mm. happening. Uh, lots of lots of weather stuff happening here in Australia again now. So that always takes takes my attention for a little bit. Um, oh yeah. Who knows what they're spraying in the sky? But um, no, life's really good, man. <laughs> life's really good. That's good. That's good. I do miss Australia. Um, hold down the fort for me. I'll be uh, back one day. Yeah. Wait. Wait till we clear out all the rubbish that's over here. Then these um these nefarious organizations parading as uh, politicians and um, legitimate companies that aren't even, aren't even companies here. Um, again, I don't want to go on that tangent. That gets me fired up. I've actually, to be honest, man, I've really, really switched off from a lot of the politics and things like that and just been living my best life. Um, that's, that's, and it's, it's helped me so much. And for all the listeners out there, I know a lot of you are caught up still in the world stuff. We're going to touch on some world stuff today, but what grounds it in the conversations I definitely have with someone like Luke is um, he grounds into like facts and figures. He grounds into cycles and what's playing out and has a really, really solid focus on what is playing out from history. History never repeats, but I like history always rhymes. Um, he, he is an expert on the cycles. Again, go back to the earlier podcast. I think we did a, a three-hour one where we had to cut it out at the start. That was gold. Um, but you ground into – to I love grounding into numbers. I, like in crypto, I love, love grounding into charts. It takes the emotion out of things. And when we're talking about world stuff, people can easily get emotional and be caught in fear and like, holy shit, the world's going to end. Um, and one of the things that come with that talking of markets is solutions that come with this as well. Um, Bitcoin, you're, you're would what be perceived as a uh, Bitcoin maxi. I see the, uh, the newspaper <laughs> in the background there. You're in El Salvador. Tell us a little bit about um, being in El Salvador and the impact what they're doing as a government, you could say. Um, when it comes to the world of, of Bitcoin and more? Yeah, so El Salvador, uh, obviously, for anyone who doesn't know, they're the first country to actually make Bitcoin legal tender. So they did that in 2021. Um, it's been about a year now since uh, El Salvador has been using Bitcoin as legal tender and their economy is thriving. I think GDP is up something like a 10 or 11% in a year for El Salvador, and that's massive. Um, and for most people would actually... Um, would probably not know, but El Salvador is a very poor country. So I think the average wage is something like 300 US dollars a month. So these people are really poor. 70% of the people here in El Salvador don't have bank accounts. And now um, since Naib Bekele, the president of El Salvador, made Bitcoin legal tender, now instantly everyone in the country who has access to a smartphone um, now essentially has a bank account. They have a Bitcoin bank account. Um, so I think um, remittances is something that's very big in El Salvador. So I think it makes up something like 20 or 30% of the country's GDP. 
Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, there's actually more El Salvadorians living outside El Salvador than there is living inside El Salvador. So it's a very poor country. People want to get out. They go and make money in the United States and they send money back home. And that's obviously called remittances. Uh, the issue with El Salvador um, is their country is pretty much ran and taken over by these predatory banks like Western Union. So if you try to send $100 from the US to El Salvador, um, essentially the banks take like a 30% cut out of that $100. Wow. So for somebody who's only earning $300 a month and you're getting slapped a $30 charge or a $30 fee on every $100 transaction, um, it's obviously, it's taking a big bite out of the available money you've got. So Bitcoin instantly fixes that. Cross-border payments that are instant, pretty much near uh, near free. Um, and obviously there's no banks in the middle. So it's a beautiful thing what Bitcoin's doing in El Salvador. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about the fees. I've noticed since all the upgrades in the Bitcoin network, the fees have come right down. Mm. I know it used to be generally a $30 fee to send Bitcoin and everyone's mm. like, it's old, it's slow, it's not there. <laughs> Transactions have got way faster now. Um, sure, with blockchain, there's always sometimes where um, it can slow down a little bit, but I've noticed the upgrades with that. And so with what El Salvador have brought in, um, it's been really, really powerful. And one thing that can you can you explain to like the newbies or the people caught in the oh, but Bitcoin price is down. El Salvador's been buying the price high. Um, can you just explain a bit of why that's probably not even a relevant conversation right now? Um, I know from my understanding, but can you yeah talk to that a little bit? Yes. Yeah, so essentially, Bitcoin's very volatile. Um, Bitcoin is the best performing asset over the past 12 years, um, but it's also seen something like five 80% corrections or crashes uh, in its in its history. So um, Bitcoin's a young technology. It's only adopted by somewhere between one to 5% of the world. So nobody understands what Bitcoin is. So essentially what you've got is um, when people see the price go down a little bit, they sell it. They, they're, they're known as the weak hands or the retail money. So the retail money was buying Bitcoin last year when it was 40, 50, 60, $70,000 a pop. And when they saw China ban Bitcoin or when they saw the equity market sell off, they all race to sell their Bitcoin because they're scared of a global recession that's coming down the line. So uh, Bitcoin's very volatile. Bitcoin will continue to be very volatile for the next five or 10 years. Um, I don't actually think Bitcoin's going to not be volatile until it's somewhere, until it's worth 10, 20 or $50 million a coin. I always like it when you put a prediction in there. It, it gets the it gets the uh, energy going. <laughs> One thing I love, and it's still to the point of um, uh, why I feel El Salvador's move. It doesn't matter where they've bought in and their buy-in prices and stuff like that. Is it's it's a long-term play for them. This is we're talking about a country, a third-world country that you, you said is poor, and you gave some great facts at the start there of one of the reasons why they're poor and Bitcoin really takes a lot of the power away from the, the banking cartels control on um, how a country, <laughs> this is the thing. It's like they can control a whole country through their monetary um, system. And the other thing is too, is the U S dollar as a measurement tool for something like Bitcoin. I always say to people, I'm like, well, yeah, Bitcoin's all time high was like 69,000 us or whatever. It's at 20,000 us today or 19 and a half. Yeah. But in that time, that printing machine for the money from all the, the banking cartel has been running off its fucking, it's been like drawing all the power from all our solar panels across the planet because we really need them apparently going forward. There's another tangent. <laughs> Draining batteries everywhere and nuclear plants are shutting down because of it. No. Um, <laughs> but 
as a measurement tool, the US dollar is just a fucking joke, really, to even compare mm -hmm. the price of when Bitcoin was all-time high to now. Like, I tell people that, well, Bitcoin's actually been really fucking stable. Like I say, it's the best-performing asset. If you take away the US dollar in its current form as a measuring tool, and you go, well, back then, if the same amount of US dollars was here now, there's not, there's 80% more or probably more. If that was the same, the price of Bitcoin would probably be pretty similar. Mm -hmm. If not, probably it gone up. So the $9,500 is the value of how many Bitcoin or how many Satoshis or whatever you've got. So El Salvador have been accumulating <laughs> from what I see. And they've been buying the dip as well, Steve. 100%. Um, dollar cost averaging. I, t I like not financial advice on any of this here, <laughs> but I, I show people the dollar cost average. Countries are fucking doing it because it works. Mm. So you got any more exactly to add right. into that? Oh, yeah. I completely forgot to mention the El Salvador thing. Um, so obviously, I think Naib Bekele first started buying Bitcoin at around 45000 US dollars. So for the Australian listeners, that's about 60000 Australian dollars, maybe 65000 and obviously the price of bitcoins it, it crashed all the way down to it's, it's pretty much at 20,000 US dollars now. So a lot of people are saying, "Oh, Bukele's destroyed um the treasury reserves of El Salvador." Well, there's a couple of things to kind of add in there. Like Bukele didn't actually buy that much bitcoin based on the amount of treasury reserves the country has. I think he only put something like 1% of the treasury reserves um into bitcoin. I don't know the exact figures off the top of my head, but it's very small. Um and Bukele's been buying all the way down so I saw when Bitcoin was at $19,500, Bukele bought another uh, 10 or $20 million of Bitcoin. So he understands the long-term potential of Bitcoin and he's buying up as much as he can. Um, and then on the other really good point you raised about, um, yes, Bitcoin's down 80%, but you also need to track what these other currencies are losing in a year. So the US dollar has lost 15% of its purchasing power against goods and services over the past year. And then a lot of these other smaller currencies, they're lost even more than that. So for example, um, Argentina, I think yearly inflation in Argentina is something like 90% right now. So the Argentinian peso has just lost 90% of its value in the past 12 months. They don't really care so much that Bitcoin's down 70% because it's actually more stable than their local currency. Same thing in Sri Lanka. Like obviously they're, they're not a small country, Sri Lanka. They have a population of 25 or so million people but they're living for inflation of 100% and the government has enforced massive capital controls on all the bank accounts in Sri Lanka. So you've got the option, hold a Sri Lankan rupee that's down 100% in a year and you're subject to capital controls, or you can hold Bitcoin. Yes, Bitcoin's down 70%, but Bitcoin also doesn't have any capital controls and there's no banks or governments that can um, tell you what to do with your Bitcoin. So um, that's a great point you raise. People need to kind of look at the recent Bitcoin correction um, in, in, in the perspective of what these other currencies around the world are doing, because we're seeing the highest inflation levels that we've seen in 50 years, all across not just emerging markets like Argentina and Sri Lanka, but also in Australia, the US and the UK. I'm sure we're going to get into the UK shortly, but uh, the central bank um, in England, the Bank of England, is uh, resorting back to quantitative easing, which means they're just simply printing money while inflation is above 10%. That's right. We should get the money printed meme up. But um, I think, yeah, I think that's a great kind of point you raise about Bitcoin. And you do need to look at look at it in the broader picture of what what else, what's the other currencies doing? I, it's so funny. Like I have conversations with people, they like crypto is gone, blah, 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 but they're in, they've got other assets 
Like I have um, people reach out to me that have been buying cars over the last 10 years and price of cars, which still a lot are a very fast, rapidly depreciating asset. But right now, like you can you can't buy a secondhand Land Cruiser in Australia. It goes up in price secondhand. Land Cruiser, because now there's this shortage of Land Cruisers. And I've got a mate who keeps, or he's sort of a mate. Um, if he keeps bagging me about crypto, he won't be for long. But he's he's got some older cars like Holden HQs and these, but done up. He's like getting offers now that are 100% appreciated on value in the last 12 months. So exactly. it's fascinating what's playing out now with different assets. Like a lot of people don't see cars as assets. I actually do. I'm not a car person, but I can see what's going on with that sort of stuff. Um, just like there's a lot of conversation around gold and silver and and these sorts of things. Um, I think we're going to see, like you say, that the volatility is going to come into all of these actual assets versus the fake invisible bullshit monetary system fiat stuff and all that as that implodes inflation and all the other things and all the agendas are pushed of course it's all part of the agendas um you're going to see these other assets that people have aside from property i think depends where you live <laughs> you're going to see them get started be truly valued for what they're probably worth not measured against the us dollar but as an asset it's a fascinating time man it's um Going back to the the currencies, you brought up a chart before we jumped on the call there of all the currencies going down. Again, you were right at the start. People love a visual. So if you're listening to this podcast, it's a good prompt. Any of the um any of the podcasts I do with Luke, he's always got some epic visuals. Um, jump over to the YouTube channel. Um, the wild man. Always got a chart for you, Steve. Channel. Always got a chart for you. Can you see the chart that I've brought up there at the moment? Got it, mate. Got it. That's a fascinating one. It's beautiful. I really love it. So for anyone who is listening in on the podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, this is the part, the time of the episode where we say head on over to YouTube. Um, definitely subscribe to Steve's channel as well. There's some great uh, interviews on there on YouTube. But we're looking at a chart that's measuring the US dollar against a lot of its other large global competitors around the world. So we're not looking at small currencies like the Sri Lankan rupee or the Zimbabwe dollar. We're looking at big currencies. So we're looking at the euro, the British pound, the Japanese yen, the Canadian dollar and the Australian dollar. And we can see every single currency all around the world is being absolutely decimated by the US dollar. So we know that the US dollar has low is losing somewhere around 15% of its value every single year against goods and services, okay? The government admits that the official CPI inflation is 8%. We all know the government's line. Head on over to shadowstats.com and it shows you the actual depreciation of the dollar and it's around 15% a year. So the US dollar is losing 15% a year and then have a look at all of these other currencies. I know there's lots of Australians probably watching this podcast and you can see the Australian dollar has lost 12% of its value against the US dollar in the past 12 months. So you have to remember, the US dollar is losing 15% of its value against stuff, the stuff you want to buy. The Australian dollars um, lost 11% against that. So it's just kind of measuring what's happening all around the world. And the Japanese yen down 23% against the dollar in the past 12 months. The British pound down 22% against the dollar in the past 12 months. What you're watching isn't it's it's carnage. That's what you're watching. I'm actually calling um calling it a currency war. I think we're at the very conclusion of this 80-year long-term debt cycle. And I personally think the United States um is actually trying to retain its hegemony 
as the global reserve currency holder. So the US dollar, for anyone who doesn't know, the US dollar is the global reserve currency at the moment. So around 70% of international trade is done in US dollars. Um, and when there's fears of a global depression or a global recession, people are scared and they sell everything. So they sell their tech stocks, they sell their bonds, they sell their Bitcoin, they, they sell their shit coins. They sell everything and they run to the US dollar. Um, and I think it's really fascinating that we're watching people flee their local currencies. So they're trying to sell their euros, sell their British pounds and their Australian dollars and flee to the US dollar. So that's kind of what this chart here is visualizing. Um, I think it's one of the more interesting charts um, of the past two years. It's yeah, it's interesting too. And again, people to wrap their head around it, that chart might show you all well, the US dollars going up versus these other things. That's the simple thing. But what you've explained there actually if it's depreciating by 15% a year, true numbers versus these other currencies like versus goods and services. Again, you go to the purchasing power. The great example for people out there is go to the supermarket. Actually take note of what a bag of shopping costs you now <laughs> and watch that go up and up and up. That's the purchasing power of your dollar in Australia. You mentioned it before the um before we jumped on, and I'm 100% with this, who would want to trade out any of their other things for the Australian dollar right now? Like, I'm like, yeah, I can't say on the podcast, but anyway, I have a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very, very mindful what I share on here. Yeah, you mean both, all brother. Good, but um, yeah, it, any currencies, any fiat right now, and it's an interesting thing. A lot of people ask me, it's like, well, what do we do when we want to like hold our, our money or we want to come out of the banks, what do we do? I keep saying to them, like, there's a lot of risk everywhere right now. A lot of people a couple of years ago, I said, well, I don't want to put it into digital currencies like Bitcoin or crypto and there's too much risk. Like I'd rather keep it in the bank. But I think it's become evident in the last couple of years that the banks have become probably more risky than ever before. Mm -hmm. Like you and I would have known for long before the last couple of years that banks are like, ah, get the fuck out. But it's become more evident as we go on, um, that they're probably probably riskier than going digital or going into some other asset class and even keeping cash. Like you keep Australian dollars, but the purchasing power is going down. What do you what what's your take on like going forward, maybe, with where we are? I know you're probably gonna say stack Bitcoin, but <laughs> <laughs> with oh. that too, give give your reasoning. Like people have got a heap of money in the bank. Well, Without it being financial advice, who cares? You're in El Salvador anyway. You're giving El Salvador <laughs> financial advice. Yeah. <laughs> what would you suggest yeah. to people to maybe look at or look into or even research? Yeah, so for me personally, um, the reason I'm so heavily into Bitcoin is it because I believe it's the only asset in the world that's actually undervalued. Um, so since we left the gold standard in 1971, our central banks have essentially inflated a bunch of asset bubbles through creating lots of very cheap debt. So we're living in a debt bubble and I believe real estate is very overvalued. I believe stocks are very overvalued. I believe bonds are very overvalued. Um, for example, stocks and bonds have just had their worst year um, in centuries. Okay, so people are running out of these assets because they're beginning to understand that they're very overvalued. Um, so I personally do think that Bitcoin is the most undervalued asset all around the world. 
Um, I could make an argument that maybe gold is undervalued and maybe there's a short-term case where maybe someone like Russia and uh, Russia and uh, the Saudis and China get together and they start selling oil and gold for the next year or two. Look, that's a possibility. I'm not going to rule it out. Um, I'm not going to rule out the fact that, you know, maybe gold could do well over the next couple of years. Uh, but I do really do think that now is uh, the time to at least be diversified. Um, I think if you have zero Bitcoin, I think that's the wrong decision. Um, I think everybody needs a little bit of Bitcoin. Even if you don't believe in it that much, I think having money outside the system that can't be controlled, censored, taxed or debased is a very beautiful thing. And Bitcoin's the only asset in the world that can't be taxed, controlled, censored or debased. Um, so that's personally why I really do. Well, I'm a hundred percent Bitcoin. I'm all in. Um, <laughs> I'm taking like a, a, a kind of a three to five year look at the world. And I'm saying to myself, look, we're at the conclusion of an 80 year long-term debt cycle. Every asset around the world um, is overinflated. When governments have enormous amounts of debt, like they do today at the end of these 80 year long-term debt cycles, they need to go through a form of deleveraging. Okay. There's too much debt. There's too much leverage. The system needs to deleverage itself. Typically through these deleveraging phases, um, the currency gets debased. So that means your cash is going to lose value and the asset bubbles are going to burst. So your stocks, your bonds, your real estate, all those asset bubbles that have been inflated through the leveraging uh, phase, uh, they will be subsequently uh, devalued through the deleveraging uh, phase. So I personally think Bitcoin is going to be the only asset that's going to hold up well on the... Um, other end of this long-term debt cycle. So I'm kind of zooming out a little bit. I'm not getting caught up in the crazy, um, the crazy swings of the Bitcoin price. Like Bitcoin was um, only two years ago, Bitcoin was $4,000. Um, it ran all the way up to $70,000. It's ran all the way back down to $20,000. And people only look at the past 12 months. They say, oh, Bitcoin's down 70 from 70,000 to 20,000. You just lost 80% of your net worth. That's right. I did. I lost 80% of my net worth, but Bitcoin is still up uh, 400% um, since early 2020. So personally, I've been all in Bitcoin for a little while now um, and I just kind of zoom out. I just ride the volatility. I have a medium to long-term approach um, that I believe Bitcoin is going to be the next global reserve currency. Um, I've done the maths um, on what value Bitcoin will be if hypothetically it is the next global reserve currency. And it's going to be worth 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars a coin. There um, goes so again, personally, again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, just math, just simple grade 11 maths, as my good friend uh, Greg Foss calls it. Um, so, me personally, it doesn't matter if you buy Bitcoin at 20,000 or 16,000, or if you get really cute and you buy Bitcoin at 12,000 because you think it's going to go there. If Bitcoin does become the next currency of the world and it's 10 or 20 or 50 million dollars, doesn't matter whether you buy it 15 or 20K. Um, nobody can pick the exact bottom of a market, um, but you can get pretty close and you can you can start to understand when a market is cheap. And historically, and when Bitcoin's down 75% in value, it's been a great time to buy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And again, like I mentioned earlier in the, the podcast, you you ground into to charts and the, the term zoom out always helps even with mine it's a long-term game as soon as you zoom out on a, oh he, he brings up the bitcoin chart right on cue it's a fascinating pattern that's playing out and it's fascinating right where we are today <laughs> in this chart but I, I love charts for this reason like a lot of people enter the market like you mentioned too the retail money coming into the market 
Um, they generally come in when it's booming and on the way up. They FOMO in and FOMO in. And yes, long-term, yes, yes, yes. But they always sell on the way down. It's such mm. an easy because they 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 choose not to or they they just let emotions dictate their decisions. They they don't they don't zoom out. Um, zooming out on the Bitcoin chart right now is fascinating. If again we we have a cycle playing out that history never repeats, but if it if it sort of rhymes from the last from its well since its inception, we could be in for some like fireworks in the next few years. And then your predictions, which is just mass of the the million, the the ten million or beyond, it it actually seems really really doable and easy <laughs> from a chart perspective. Yeah, exactly. Um, so for anyone who is still listening in on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I once again encourage you to get on over to YouTube because we're looking at a chart that's uh, looking at the past 13 years of Bitcoin's life. And we can see that on like seven or eight occasions, Bitcoin has had a correction larger than 60%. Uh, typically, those corrections are somewhere between 60 and 85%. Um, and, you know, this is very normal for Bitcoin. Again, it's a young asset only adopted by somewhere around one to five percent of the world so it's very volatile um the i mean amazon the largest company in the world today it's worth trillions of dollars literally trillions of dollars um that was also very volatile when it was being adopted um, by the world okay these technologies that go from zero percent to 50 70 80 90 percent adoption they're very volatile in their adoption phase and not many people can actually understand what they're going through when it's happening so not many people understand okay i'm buying amazon at five dollars a share uh, when one percent of the world understands it i'm going to sell it when it's worth thousands of dollars a share um they can't ride the volatility out um in the meantime so i think i think amazon had like uh, three 90 corrections and uh five corrections bigger than 60 percent, something like that again it's off the top of my head so they may not be exact figures but amazon was very volatile Apple was very volatile. The internet stocks were very volatile and so is Bitcoin. Um, so typically you guys can see that typically buying Bitcoin when it's down 75 or 80%, it's been a great time to uh, buy some Bitcoin. That's typically when Bitcoin is very cheap and that's when you want to buy it. Nobody knows when the exact bottom is going to be of any market. So I average in when she's cheap and I think it's pretty cheap today. Yeah. A lot of people rely on like who can predict the bottom and all that sort of thing. I have a bottom number. Do you have a bottom number, mm -hmm. what you think it's going to be? And this is from a charting perspective, from a pattern. Um, I'm happy to share mine if you'll share yours. <laughs> Ooh, I've got a couple. I've got a couple levels. I, I, I do like to engage in a little bit of short-term speculation from time yeah. to time. Yeah. Um, like, I like, I think 20K is such a significant number. Like, I mean, if you look at Bitcoin on a monthly chart, we only really wick down to 17K for a couple of weeks. We have spent a couple of weeks under 20K, but I think if you look at it on a monthly, um, maybe in six months time, this could be the bottom. Um, I think if it goes any lower, I think a lot of people are talking about uh, $12,000. Uh, that looks like a pretty significant, oh, there we go. I, it's going to be for, for, it won't even stay there for a minute. I I, yeah. I think it's just going to be a really short, sharp black swan event. It's just going to wick it down. It might even wick below that, but I mean... Whoever's going to catch it, because I know I know a bunch of people are loaded up with their <laughs> mm. with their their buy orders for them, but I think it's going to take a black swan event. I think we've got one more at least coming in the next six months. Um, but from there, I think the true bottom is where we're at now. Do you look at the accumulation mm. that's happening over the last few months? Um, and again, if you're going to go back to the chart from 
I see you had that um downtrend that that year look 12 month downtrend where yeah. we're at now is a really interesting time too for on the chart where we um oh yeah here we go might bring it up on a on like a daily chart yeah you can cool. kind of see bitcoin's kind of flirting with this um so it's been in a downtrend for a year and it's just kind of flirting with this trend line um very interesting it's very interesting i don't I used to do a lot of trading when I was a lot younger. I I don't do so much anymore uh, just because I just, I, Bitcoin for me is just savings, not really a trading vehicle, but yep. um, you can kind of see like, I think that's interesting. Like it's Bitcoin's been in the downtrend for the past 12 months and you can kind of see, you know, maybe it's getting close to testing a downtrend. I'm not going to call a change of trend too early, but yeah. um, I, I, I do like when we are historically very cheap, like I believe we are right now, um, I certainly start paying attention to things like this, um, potential changes in trend. Uh, Bitcoin is just kind of hovering around 20,000 every single time it goes underneath 18,000, it's bought up very quickly. Um, you raise a good point, Steve. Lots of people have uh, bids stacked at $12,000. Um, typically, when you have a very key level of significance like that, um, and if everybody thinks it's going to go to 12,000, you actually get the big money. They will actually set massive bids at, say, $12,500 or $13,000 just before all of, the, um, all of the bids get filled. So that's maybe something to keep in mind as well. Um, and something I used to look at in my trading days, but, um, yeah. if, if, if somebody was trying to buy 12 K, um, I, I'd have bids at like 14 K, 13.5, 13 K, 12 and a half. Like I wouldn't be trying to pick exact bottoms. That is very risky business. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy at the prices that now, man, seriously to uh, accumulate. I think it's fantastic. You even see like, even with the green box there for people seeing the visual that's gone down to basically the all time high of 2017 thereabouts mm. that's why i think right now we're at such a key significant level again we've only wicked down below that a couple of times very briefly um and in in the history of bitcoin that tends to be the bottom of the market it tends to be um for, before the next bull run exactly right so typically like um typically when we get these pullbacks they kind of um these 85 percent corrections Typically, they don't uh, go lower than the previous all-time high. So the all-time high in 2017 was about $19,500, I think, from memory. Um, so again, Bitcoin did go down to 17000 on the small time frames. But I think if you zoom out and look at it on a monthly, it would, uh, it would look pretty, it would look very uh, similar to previous cycles. Because in previous cycles, that's kind of what we've seen. Um, I'll have a quick look here at the 2013 bull market. We can kind of see the peak for the 2011 bull market was $33. And you can see when we had this correction in 2013, we didn't actually go under that $33. And then I suppose you can kind of see a similar thing here in 2013. Um, the 2013 bull market peak was, what's that, around $220. Um, and you can see that next bull run, you have the 85% correction and it pretty much pulls back to the previous all-time high. Um, got all sorts of lines going on on the chart here. I'm hoping I'm making sense to the listeners, but essentially, this is a great time to be buying. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, again, and I love the chart, and I love looking at the long term chart, and it it just helps again for for listeners out there that may have come in, especially last year, 
um, to the crypto market. Just like in 2017, a lot of people entered the market then and they bought in like in December. And by, by February next year, they're all selling off going, oh, what was I doing? Made a mistake and blah, blah, blah. But same happened last year. But if you FOMO'd in last year, there, there's actually nothing to fret. Um, if you're still holding, especially, you've done really, really well. And um, holding on, if like I say, even if we, we have some sort of sideways movement while the world does what it does and the currency wars, as you describe it, play out, um, and you're just holding on to an asset like Bitcoin, I think you're going to come out well on top. I really do. Um, yeah. As simple as that. Quick one. I was going to ask this before. Before we go, this is a funny looking chart. This is like, look, like my four-year-old drew, drew this one. This is cool. What about this <laughs> asset? What do you think well, of that one? What, you got silver? Oh, I got silver. What do you think? Okay. I've got a couple of silver maxis. Cole and Al, yeah. you listeners out there. Cole and Al, check out the episodes I've done with him recently. Silver maxi. What oh, do you I think? think- uh, so I think um, I do think commodities overall are structurally um, undervalued when you look at like historical averages. Um, so I look at lo- I look at a lot of these charts that kind of measure um, how commodities were valued against stocks in like the 1970s and the 1980s, and like commodities are historically very very underpriced. I think we're in like a 10 year commodity super cycle. Um, t- typically, these commodities go through these 10 year super cycles every 15 or 20 years. Um, I think everything like oil, gas, um, and then obviously all your metals like gold, silver, nickel, palladium, they are all um, undervalued. Um, If you're looking at monetary metals, personally, I think gold's more attractive than silver. Um, A lot of people say, oh, but you look at the gold and silver ratio and silver is very, very undervalued compared to gold uh, when you look at it historically. And that is true, but um, something to keep in mind there is why was silver more valuable in the past, in the 15, 16, 17, 1800s? That's because silver was kind of being used as a medium of exchange while gold was being used as the store of value. Um, So essentially, as we transition to paper money in the 20th century, gold kind of stayed as the store of value that kind of backed that currency. But all of a sudden, silver's use case got taken away from it in terms of a a monetary use case because the paper receipts that were supposed to back the gold, they became the medium of exchange that facilitated trade and kind of did what silver used to do um, for hundreds and hundreds of years previous to then. So that's kind of why I'm not as bullish on silver as I am gold. I think both are undervalued. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see the paper markets break. Um, I was actually talking to, I think it's Andy Hoffman. Um, he actually worked uh, with GATA. So that's the gold action um, what is it called? Get gold Action Task Force or something like that. And he's been investigating the manipulation in the metals markets for the past 40 years. Um, so I met him at a conference. We, we were both speaking at recently, a Bitcoin conference. Um, and he kind of told me that he thought uh, the leverage on the gold market was something like 600 to one. So he was saying there's 600 paper receipts, gold paper receipts for every one ounce of gold that's actually in the bullion banks. And he said silver, he thinks it's somewhere around 300 to one. So there's about 300 uh, silver ounce receipts for every one ounce of physical silver that's sitting in that's sitting in the metals banks. So that's why gold and silver are so um, undervalued, um, just because the, the central banks and the banks kind of control the price of them um, through just creating these um, paper contracts. So I think that's another reason why I'm a Bitcoiner um, more than I am a gold bug. Um, so I was actually buying gold and silver before I was buying Bitcoin. I was buying gold and silver in 2017, 2018. 
because I saw the financial system was broken and it was breaking down and I felt a little bit weird. I was being made fun of by all my 17 and 18 year old friends because there's not many 18 year old kids who have gold and silver, but I did. I was that weirdo. Um, so I obviously, I, I have a soft spot for gold and silver. I don't want to just trash it. Um, but I think like a reason that gold and silver's price has been manipulated so heavily is because it's nearly impossible to take physical delivery of your gold and silver. So it's very hard to take delivery of a hundred ounces of gold or something ridiculous like that. So that's how these bullion banks um, are able to manipulate the price and suppress it with the creation of all these paper contracts. Now, this is where Bitcoin is very different because Bitcoin is very, very, very easy to custody. Anyone who has a, a ledger or a Trezor or a uh, Bitbox um, hardware wallet, they would understand how easy it is to actually take your Bitcoin off the exchange and put it into your own wallet. Um, so I actually think there's going to be a situation in the next five years where all of these exchanges like Coinbase and uh, CoinSpot, I think they're going to maybe even run out of Bitcoin and you're going to actually see a, um, a, Bitcoin, a Bitcoin short squeeze. Um, because I personally do think these exchanges are creating paper Bitcoin, just like the banks are creating paper gold and silver receipts. Uh, but Bitcoin's so much easier to self-custody it. So uh, that's kind of why I'm a lot more bullish on Bitcoin than gold and silver. Man, there's a prime reason why I have you on as a guest, mate. You always drop something new in there. I love that breakdown of the silver versus gold. And of course, I'm not going to flash my gold bullion on a podcast. Silver's all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that's awesome. I'm going to get my mate cold looking at that. And if my team are editing this, please do this as a clip so I can share this everywhere. Because that was that was really, really important what you shared there. And um, again, I'm glad I asked. And was there a little plug there about a crypto custody wallet there too? Did I... I heard him. Oh, there. I, have was. To, I have to chat to you about that off off the show too. Um, I yeah. Please do. Yeah, please yeah, do. I, I have a tracer at the moment, but of course, I'm I'm not one for putting everything in the one place. Um, well, I can hook you up with a discount with Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. They're a great little Bitcoin away, only hardware plug wallet. Yeah, <laughs> plug away. They sponsor my YouTube channel, and if you're looking for somewhere to buy buy Bitcoin in Australia, head on over to Amber. Amber's got you covered. I have to talk um, to you about that too. Plug away. Yeah, your YouTube channel. Tell us a little, well, perfect little segue. Tell us a little bit more about it now instead of saving it to the end. Yeah, so um, I'm still obviously making educational videos um, on Bitcoin, but not only Bitcoin, all sorts of other things. Um, so today I was filming a video on the currency wars. Um, tomorrow I'll be filming a video on Credit Suisse and why the Bank of England is about to go bankrupt and Europe's about to blow up. Talk about all sorts of things like the energy crisis that's manifesting itself all around the world. A lot of people think energy prices are going up because of Putin's price hike, and that's just not true. It's it's all because uh, the governments are trying to push us into using unreliable forms of energy like solar and wind. Um, so that's obviously a rabbit hole. I'm interested in all sorts of things, technology, Bitcoin, the great narrative. Oh, yes, don't you worry. I go down all sorts of rabbit holes on there talking about Klaus Schwab. It's a um, script. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I haven't read that one yet, but um, yeah, I, I talk about all things on YouTube. I like to expose the truth um, and try to teach people what they haven't been taught about in school because um, that really kind of annoys me, I suppose, or it's one thing I'm mildly angry about, the fact that governments just lie to the people and they don't just lie to you about the money. They lie to you about the energy. They lie to you about the food and they lie to you about the educational system. So I like to kind of talk about all of those things on my YouTube channel. And obviously um, I get the pleasure of talking to some brilliant people like you, Steve. I also have a podcast. So um, I post some interviews and podcasts um, on the YouTube channel as well, where 
I just try to learn from some of the smarter and greatest minds around the world. So, I, what's I, I the name of your YouTube channel? I'll put it in the links below, just for everyone. Yeah, listening. so I've got a got a couple of channels. Um, if you type in Bitcoin Made Simple podcast into YouTube, you should be able to find it. It's also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, and then obviously I've got another channel as well. It's called Fix the Money, Fix the World. Um, so it's a little bit easier to spell than my last name. My last name's uh, it's Croatian slash Serbian. Uh, it's from the old Yugoslavian days, uh, Mikic. So that's uh, impossible to spell for people. So I went for something a little bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it now. I know how to spell it now. It took me a bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. Let's let's get back to what you've got in the share screen there. That was a perfect tangent, by the way, too. Epic. I love, Definitely check I love out a good tangent. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Yeah, so the chat we've got at the moment, this is just kind of tracking how technologies get adopted. Um, so essentially, um, all technologies, whether it's uh, the internet or the smartphone or um, obviously the personal computer, they all get adopted very slowly to begin with. So typically it takes a technology um, 10 years to go from zero to 10% adoption, but then typically it takes an, the same amount of time, so 10 years, uh, to go from 10% adoption to 90% adoption. So that's pretty much mainstream. And that's because technologies for the first 10 years, um, they're new, they're weird, they're not quite ready to go mainstream. Everybody thinks they're weird. Um, but then kind of as the network effects grow and the technology kind of builds its roots in society and you get to around 5 to 10% adoption, um, all of a sudden network effects kick in um, and the technology goes mainstream because everybody wants to race to use this new technology that's revolutionary. It's making things more efficient. It's making businesses more efficient. Um, and everybody essentially, everybody races for the exit and they try to adopt the technology as quickly as they can. So that's why it takes about 10 years um, to go from that 10% to 90% um, adoption. So I think it's very interesting that Bitcoin today is uh, 13 years old. Um, I personally think that, um, you know, adoption somewhere around 5%. Um, and I really do think we're kind of hitting a tipping point um, in terms of Bitcoin adoption. Um, so I, I personally, that's why I think Bitcoin's going to hit um, tens of millions of dollars before 2030, because I'm just looking at um, the average, um, the average, uh, the average time it takes a technology to go through its kind of adoption cycle from 0% to 90%. So that's what a lot of these charts are kind of looking at just kind of showing you how um, these technologies do get adopted in these uh, S waves. So it's like an S curve. So obviously the bottom of the S is very flat and then it gets very steep as you go through 10 to 90% adoption. Yeah. And you mentioned a good point in there about like, as the technologies, um, well, they've got more usability um, in the world and they're adopted because of that. And I, I've just got a little, uh, you would have seen this with building things on the Bitcoin network. It's not a term or phrase you would have heard like four or five years ago. People were talking about building on Ethereum and then it became building mm. on a Solana and these, but Bitcoin has layers that as it develops and as it's taken on the, the latest one, which I love, they're talking about building um, good old Mr. Trump's true social parlor, um, Kanye um, looks <laughs> like he's purchased in parlor and Elon with Twitter and they're all, they're all, well, I know Kanye and um, Elon have always been in the in the crypto game and Trump's always like, nah, nah, Bitcoin's not real money. The US dollar's king, but we know that he talks in code. <laughs> mm. But this is this is something like social media networks where we're all connected in that. Everyone's like the last few years realized that they don't have our best interests at heart. But stuff like that, technologies that can 
be built on other like Bitcoin. Now people didn't think that. And yeah, I read that the other day. I'm like, oh, that's a fascinating step for it. And I know there's other ones out there. I know um, what's the one that I've got? I know Mark Moss talks about it a little bit and he does some presentation. What's that one? Um, maybe Tarot. No, JP Spears. Spears. Oh, Zion, social media, the social media. Strangest uh, name for it. app. But yeah, it's like (laughs) (laughs) for the people involved, like Zion, come on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Things like that that people aren't aware of. That's as the technology um, develops that's the sort of stuff that can be brought onto it. So I just wanted to drop that in here because I was actually reading it yesterday, I think on, um, I don't know if you follow Jordan Sather. Um, that'll probably trigger some people out there. I really, really like his work. Um, mm. But yeah, when he shared that, I'm like, that's so cool. But anyway. Yeah. No, it's a great point. I think in a lot of these technologies are being built out on top of Bitcoin. So for the first kind of 10 years of Bitcoin's life, um, everybody was saying, oh, Bitcoin's slow. Bitcoin doesn't have smart contracts. Uh, Bitcoin has slow payments. And now all of a sudden, I think all those solutions are getting solved. So the Lightning Network gives Bitcoin instant uh, instant settlement. Um, like we have nation states, we have countries using the Bitcoin Lightning Network uh, to facilitate um, something that can handle something like 40 million transactions a second is the theoretical throughput of the Lightning Network. Um, instant, you know, cheap, um, essentially no fees. Um, so Bitcoin's all, all of a sudden no longer slow. You can buy a coffee with Bitcoin. Um, and then obviously smart contracts are being built out um, on top of layers as well in Bitcoin. So you have these other layers like the Liquid Network or Rootstock, RSK. You have all of these layers that are built on top of Bitcoin. Um, and yes, they're more centralized than the Bitcoin base chain, uh, but they have the same smart contract capability as something like Ethereum or something like Solana. Um, and obviously it's built on a more secure Uh, base layer and most importantly it doesn't have a coin attached to it Um, so you don't actually need the token the solana token the avax token the ethereum token that goes up and down in price to do smart contracts you can do this um, in the liquid network liquid doesn't have a monetary token attached to it just kind of shows um, why a lot of these ethereum solana avax guys they just create the token to enrich themselves so i think Bitcoin has smart contracts come in. Uh, you mentioned Zion. That's a great example of a social media messaging company that's been built on top of the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Um, and that's where you're watching all sorts of things be built on top of the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Um, so I think we're watching, um, I can't remember the exact name of it, uh, Infurious or Impervious. In, I, I'd encourage everyone to Google what Impervious is, but that's essentially just bringing like a stack of applications and building them on top of the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Uh, so that's things like uh, video calls, like what Steve and I are on at the moment, like a Zoom equivalent, um, obviously um, ser- uh, servers where you can host your own information. You can have all of these things built out, um, in- incorporating the Bitcoin Lightning Network. So it's very interesting days in terms of Bitcoin development. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's quality information. And I think you're going to see the, how rapidly it's happened in the next two years. When we're having a conversation, we're going to be talking about like how good have these things been to use compared to good old Facebook or whatever mm. we used to use. Or um, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Oh, well, he's bringing up something here. Yeah, I'm trying to see impervious browser. I can't remember the name of the uh, uh, impervious AI. So this is what I encourage everybody to go and check out. It's a Bitcoin layer three. And it's just bringing like a stack of censorship resistant applications uh, to be built on top of Bitcoin. Um, so 
I haven't had the chance to dig into this as uh, as deeply as I could, but from memory, it's things like video calling apps and messaging apps and ways for you to host your own data so you don't get kicked off YouTube. All sorts of very cool things have been built on top of the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Yeah. Um, so it looks very, very interesting days in terms of Bitcoin development. Yeah, it's epic. It's really good to see. And uh, I love I love how, and this, this grounds me in too, like not only the numbers and charts and facts and figures ground me in and switching off from a lot of the, the emotional shit around the world. But what also grounds me is as the world gets more perceived to be more chaotic, there's always solutions that are coming to the fore and people just need to practice a lot more patience than what they do instead of getting caught up in all the shit and distracted by it. This sort of stuff is coming out so rapidly. Again, if we're, we're having a conversation in two years, we're going to be sitting here talking about how good have these been to use, mm. like compared to what we used to use. And people just need to be really, really patient with a lot of this stuff, like even the social media. I haven't done heaps on social media this year. I haven't needed to. My business is booming away from it. I've really, really found a niche in like networking close to, to my community and everything like that. But I know a lot of people have left social media or been kicked off in the last few years. There's two things happening there. You mentioned um, censorship. A lot of people have been kicked off due to censorship, but a lot of people are left because they are afraid of being censored. Like these mm. sorts of things, there's solutions at hand, but a lot of these people are still caught up in the ang- arguing with that, that interface, the Facebooks or whatever they've been kicked off of instead of mm. going, okay, how can I, Maybe I should be starting to research this stuff. Maybe I should be positioning myself if I want to influence people and I want to show up on my social media and that. I've already gone. Like a Zion, I joined up ages ago. It's like it wasn't even out in Australia, but I'm like, all right, cool. I, if I'm going to move, I might start looking at this one, researching it. Is it going to be aligned? Things like that. And the more that comes to fore, that's how I work. And it's like then I'm not caught. Cool. Oh, whoa, if I lose my Facebook channel, oh, fuck, what am I going to do? I don't need that now because I've built out my business outside of it. But again, for a lot of people, it's really impacted and affected their their business and their marketing and all these sorts of things. Exactly. You, you raise a really good point. We can waste a lot of energy trying to fight the old system and the corrupted system and the corrupted ways. We can vote all we want. We can protest all we want, but we're never going to change that old corrupted system. What we need to do is you need to opt out of that corrupted system and just go to and build your own parallel society. Um, so obviously that doesn't just start with the money. So I can vote all I want to try to stop the Reserve Bank of Australia from uh, lowering interest rates and printing money and devaluing my Australian dollars. I can protest, I can vote, I can do everything. I can I can go to the banks every day and squeal at the tellers. They're never going to change the monetary policy. The Australian dollar will continue to be devalued and it will be inevitably hyperinflated like the other 700 fiat currencies in history. Instead of fighting that old system and that old corruption, I just simply take my money and I put it where it's treated best. I put it into Bitcoin. I I, I don't waste any energy fighting the old system. And I think that's a very important principle that people should take um, in all their kind of other aspects of their life. Um, obviously, I can I can squeal all I want about the unhealthy food that we're being um, force fed by our governments and you know media and health experts. Um, but I just simply opt out and I just eat steak three times a day. I refuse to eat the sludge. Um, for example, the same thing's true in education. People say, oh, I don't like what my kids are being taught at school. I don't like all of this propaganda they're being fed about gender this and gender that. I won't even go into that rabbit hole. But just, you know, homeschool your kids or just have more um, or just put put a bit of a bigger uh, kind of emphasis on um educating your kids, um, even when they're away from the public school system, making sure that they understand that a lot of the stuff that's being taught in school is propaganda. So 
um, in whatever aspect of life or whether it's uh, the medical industry. You don't need to fight the old medical industry. Just ignore them and route around them and make sure you're healthy. And if you eat healthy, you'll be fine. You won't need the medical industry. I think that's um, I think that's a good point you raise. You, we can waste a lot of energy going down all of these other rabbit holes and fighting the corrupted system and the corrupted ways. But I think it can be a it could be a lot more stoic, I suppose. Um, just con- just worrying about what you can control and you can control a lot. I know it doesn't seem like that for a lot of people, but there's a lot of things you can do to um, you know control your own life and ensure that the government and the state doesn't infringe on your rights and freedoms too much um if it means you need to escape australia and move to el salvador like me you can do that too <laughs> it's not as hard as you think it is uh powerful man perfect and spot on too i could i could roll off a number of things that i've implemented in my life over the last few years um where my hand hasn't been forced the food like i grow all my own vegetables and these sorts of things got a, a butcher that we could even if shit shut down we got a deal that we can go and see him off the thing all organic meat all these sorts of things are yeah and people can be more proactive um so nah awesome man awesome awesome way to segue to you talk about running away to El Salvador you didn't run away man you've been living the fucking dream Uh, we we were chatting a bit about this the other week about um I know when I started my entrepreneurial journey about eight or so years ago was all about location free getting to Bali going to all these amazing countries like South America whatever and sitting by the pool with the laptop and doing work and then I'm you were sharing how you've been in and out of airports. It's one of the reasons it's been hard for us to align our schedule because you've been here, there, and everywhere. We we're going to chat when you're in Hawaii. <laughs> you've been every- um, we were sharing about, I was sharing a little bit about mine where in hindsight, going back to them times for me, there was a lot of fun aspects to it, but I was always fucking tired and drained. Internet wasn't working and shit like this, trying to find, yeah, some of it was good having stuff and that in Bali and these magic, but I look in hindsight, I'm like, I'd rather be doing what I'm doing now for my work. But you're you're in the travel game right now and you're finding some of these things are like, oh, this might be a bit frustrating. But on the other hand, you are sort of living the dream. Yeah. You want to like speak a little bit more to that, man? Yeah, I think traveling can certainly be a double-edged sword. Um, I, I think the past, uh, so before 2022, I'd never left Australia. I was 25, never left Australia. I think now I've seen something like seven or eight countries and 12 different states in the US in the span of 10 months. So I've been traveling a bit over the over the past 10 months. And um, like you say, there's lots of frustrations along the way, especially in Latin America. Sometimes you have an apartment or an Airbnb that doesn't have the basic necessities. It's got poor Wi-Fi or cold water and just traveling. For example, I got kicked off a flight the other day, uh, traveling Aero Mexico. I'm going to call them out on live I'm going to call them out on YouTube. Um, they booted me off the plane for not wearing a mask properly. Uh, apparently, I had it over my um. I refused to put it over my nose. It's tyranny. I, I refused to comply with any sorts of tyrannical measures. Um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, I got booted off a plane for that, uh, for not wearing a mask. So, yes, there's lots of, um, there's lots of uh, downsides to traveling. Um, but I think um, there's also lots of positives as well. So, I think... Um, moving into the digital age, as I do think we're at the end of this 80-year long-term debt cycle, governments have more debt today than they did in the 1940s during World War II. Typically, when governments go through this period of bankruptcy, they get very, very tyrannical. 
Um, so I think just having your options open or at least your minds open to the possibility of moving anywhere around the world is not the worst thing in the 2020s because it certainly does have lots of benefits. Uh, for example, like the cost of living here in El Salvador, it's cheap as chips. And if you can somehow get yourself an online job that pays you in US dollars and you go and live in these cheap countries in Latin America like Peru or Mexico or El Salvador, or even in Asia, in Bali. I haven't seen Asia yet, but from what I've been told, it's very cheap over there as well. So I think you get lots of optionality by um, being able to kind of travel around the world. Obviously, you don't need to pay taxes. Again, not financial advice, but um, if you don't actually have a residency in, in a certain country and you're just kind of being a digital nomad, you don't need to pay taxes. That's a nice little benefit, but certainly a double-edged sword, Steve. Um, what what was your what was your highlights or your favourite times from uh, travelling back in the day? Because I know uh, we haven't actually talked about this off-air as much as I'd like to. So what, what were some I, of your favourite countries that you went to? Well, here's the thing. I didn't actually leave Australia till I was 35, I think it mm. was. And that was my first time going to Bali and it was a fascinating experience. Like it was a big big turning point in my life because I was going to like a personal growth retreat over there. But at the same time, um, I was going over into the the Bali airport. It wasn't long after the, the Bali bombings, maybe, um, mm. whatever. So security was off its tits. I'd never been out of the country before. Back then, I was seeing flickers of the news. I wasn't watching it like a, I was, I was awake, but I was not fully like, I was still seeing what was going on in the world. Um, and that was the that was the medium for it then. It wasn't the the YouTubes and the Facebook books and all that sort of stuff weren't as they are now. But um, I remember I had to take a heap of t-shirts in for the the company that I was like getting coached by and that. Like I had forty five t-shirts and here I am looking at the the tick boxes going to the airport. You got to declare goods and I'm like it's got something to do with like something brought in from another country. And it was like, holy shit, that's, fuck, I've got like 45 t-shirts that are all the same in plastic. Oh, fuck. I had hardly any clothes because I had all my supplements and shit in there. I had this massive suitcase and another massive carry-on. Get in the airport, all the dudes are holding machine guns. Because it was like, I think it was about, it was something, security was off its tits. Man, I was there for like three hours freaking out. I had to show them my Facebook of what I was doing, what I've been talking about, the company I was going over with. They were going to hold me there. So that was my first experience going into an international airport in Bali and where I was super pumped and excited to go there. But once I got through that, it was definitely an eye-opener. Um, that was a highlight for me because it did change my life really back then. And and it from there, I went back. I was going to Bali all the time. I lived in Bali for probably 12 months off and on for a month here and a month there. Um, that was a, a, a an amazing experience too learning how to ride a scooter. I was scared of motorbikes growing up forever and ever. All my mates had them, but I was like this little short ass who couldn't get on their, their, their 250s and shit. So I hated motorbikes. So learning how to ride a scooter was a, a fun thing. And then I was like, oh, that's the best. But yeah, Bali was a really big one for me. I met a lot of people there. I done a lot of great work there. I ended up running retreats and events there myself. So always anything where I was giving back in the world was always exciting to travel to. The airports and everything sucked. I I can't stand airports um the, the mm. energy there i think um the working part it was really really good my now wife chaitanya we we did go to bali and that a couple of times together and we were working there but i think the the last time like we're going to new zealand um i was going to peru i've been to peru a couple of times costa rica but i think the last time i was in bali um when my wife chi was pregnant with river 
we decided then like that was the worst experience ever we went down to south southern bali uluwatu everyone's like it's amazing i said the energy was fucked we just we had so much emotion and stuff coming up because we were about to be new parents and uh, i was just like that was the end of my um location free working part because of that experience but to travel and stuff like that again peru's peru is fascinating I love Peru. I will go back to Peru. We've touched on this a little bit, but my time over there working with plant medicines and the shamans and the people, like even just the marketplaces and stuff over there, I used to just hang out in the marketplace and not buy shit and just talk to like the locals. It was like so different and so awesome. And um, again, and it did with my work too. It did help my coaching business and all that. It was like great social proof. Here I am traveling the world. Um, like working on myself, growing myself. And at the same time, here I am helping and coaching people. It was really good for business too. But again, the frustrations mm. in the end, they they still, in hindsight, I look at them like, holy shit, that, a lot of that was so hard. Yeah, I might have like been doing the selfies, sitting in amazing places, like having fun, but the in-between stuff, it, it sucked ass. Um, trying to sit uh-huh. in one place to, to run a training and then kept mm. cutting out. And here I'm trying to like, coach people through a training it's cutting out and i've got to make fucking excuses for the internet and here i am trying to coach them through not making excuses come on (laughs) so that sort of stuff was really frustrating but again it's um i think it's one of the things we look at when you again you're seeing the world now you're getting massive benefit from the travel and all that and the work you're doing is fantastic you're working for some fucking exceptional people who are doing great things in the world and part of it you're going from place to place um, I think that experience that comes with this, like I know for me that that had me grow more than so many other things that like just meeting new people, like as jokes about my wife always gives me crap because when I went, first went to Peru, I went into the airport, I think it was Tarapoto. Um, and then from there, we we're going to go out into the jungle, into the Amazon. But I was in the airport and I hadn't had a drink since I left Australia. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I was thinking. I was dehydrated as shit. And I got to the airport and I could not find one person that spoke English. I didn't know how to say water. <laughs> I was pointing at a fridge and they wouldn't serve me because I couldn't talk to them. They didn't trust me. And I was like, I had to wait till one of the other clients was flying in so I could say, hey, I'm like dying here. How, do I, how the fuck do I buy water? <laughs> I was like aqua and I was calling it aqua and I, I couldn't, I couldn't say it properly. And like, again, I, it's one of the things that I have with it. I, I, the language I'm like Aussie slang. That's my second language. Oh. So that was, that was lots of growth in that too. But yeah, it's, um, it's awesome that you're doing it, man. And I think one day again, I might, I might hit the road a little bit, but it's probably going to be mm. with something with wheels and I'm probably going <laughs> to, <laughs> I'm probably going to spend a lot more time like, just with the fam and by myself and work little bits in the middle. I love a bit of that as well. Um, the, you told me that uh, that water story off air and that's an absolute crack up. Um, for anyone listening who speaks a little bit of Spanish, the word you need to know is uh, yo necesito mucha agua, yo necesito. Um, it's, um, it's so difficult being in Latin America and not being able to speak Spanish. Um, I think when I, I'm still terrible, I'm still trying to learn as much as I can. Um, and it's a massive culture shock, but I think... Um, uh and and the australian accent as well because it's not just um the fact that spanish people can't understand uh people who don't understand spanish it's the australian accent 
So even when I can pronounce the Spanish words, I still don't understand it because the Australian accent is so strong on top of it. So I definitely feel your struggles there on the uh, trying to be in a foreign country and not know the language. That's certainly intimidating. But I mean, there's so many, like you said, um, in Peru, the people there are so lovely and they're so helpful. And like, if you've got a smile on your face, they're willing to help you no matter what, um, even if you can't speak a word of Spanish. So, um, well, it must have been the Aussie slang at the airport then that they wouldn't help me for because I was like, and I was so dehydrated. I had a headache. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> but even then, I remember going the, the last time I went back, I think it was two and a half years, three years ago, I think, just before all the lockdowns and that, when I was in Peru again in the Sacred Valley, I had this instance where I went to the bank and I had to get a heap of money out of different accounts for... um people I was working for over there. And even then that they, they um, going in to communicate with them, I didn't know what the fuck to say, like, cause it stopped letting me get out money. I had to get out a few more thousand dollars, like to pay for stuff for the events and that were running. And like, the, they were so patient and nice, but to communicate what I needed <laughs> took like an hour. <laughs> and it took one of the yeah. guests that were coming in who knew a bit of English to help. Oh, mm. But again, there was so much growth in that. It was very mm. uncomfortable and there was lots of unknowns. And I think that's what you get, the culture, um, not just the language. The culture is very different, but they are as a people like Peru, even Costa Rica. I love Costa Rica. It was like a, a – I don't know if you've been to Costa Rica yet. I, I think you have. Have you? No? I'm going next month, actually. I was going to ask Beach. you about Costa Rica off air. Yeah. Yeah, cool. It's like a. I, I lived in um, far north Queensland for about – seven or eight years it's very much like that but a lot wilder where i went in costa rica mm. um animals look a bit more crazy which is funny coming from an aussie who picks <laughs> up like probably the most venomous dangerous snakes on the planet but yeah, yeah there was lots of unknowns under there frogs that are this big that can kill you if you touch them and shit like that um but wow. costa, costa rica was amazing it was an epic experience there and i think the other thing with the travel with me um was it was always for something was to do with growth it was always something to do was like bettering myself um, and, uh, some of the positives I got from that was I met some amazing people. A lot of my, my friends now I met traveling around the world, but they're in Australia or they're in New Zealand. Um, mm. so that, that's probably been the, one of the biggest things I've got from it. And, um, yeah, never take any of it back. No, no matter what difficulties I had or frustrations I had now, um, I definitely wouldn't be here where I am now doing what I do now and, and loving life. If I didn't experience the travel side of things. I think everybody has to experience travel at, at one stage of their life. Um, whether it's just a holiday, you don't need to move permanently overseas, but just go on a holiday to experience it first. It really is a beautiful thing. A lot of people think they've got a tough life, you know, living in America or living in Australia, but, you know, I, I put yourself in a little bit of an uncomfortable position. It certainly makes you stronger and it makes your everyday life home in Australia or America um, a lot easier once you've experienced a lot more of the, diff the difficulties that do come with traveling, but um, it's an amazing chance to meet new people, um, especially in my kind of industry in terms of uh, Bitcoin. Um, everybody who's interested or involved in Bitcoin is pretty much based in um, America and kind of like there's a there's a little bit of a focus in Latin America at the moment, especially because a lot of these countries like Mexico, Paraguay, and obviously El Salvador, who's made it legal tender, they're all kind of uh, showing interest in Bitcoin. So for me personally, it's a great chance to meet people in my own industry and I um I think that can be true for uh, true for anyone. Um, so, like, if you're a digital nomad, 
um, and you're traveling to these other countries around the world, you can meet lots of other like-minded digital nomads and it's a great chance to network and, and, you know, meet some very, very interesting people who are doing some very, very interesting things in the world. Um, everybody should definitely travel at uh, some stage of their life. That's for sure. Nah, awesome, man. I think that's a, a good way to round this one out too. Cause I know how we roll, man. We, um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go over, the, go over the hour, then we'll go over the two hours, but man, it's been <laughs> epic having you on brother. It's, um, really appreciate you making the time in your schedule and sharing your wisdom, um, around the markets, all thing markets and everything that comes in with that too. Guys, if you've just finished listening to this too, please go back and listen to it again because he dropped a bunch of facts through this that are really, really important for how you would position yourself going forward. Um, it's really interesting. We didn't even get to talk about your Uncle Klaus, but we may have to in the <laughs> near future and all the the agendas and that playing out there. But I think, again, grounding into what's going in the marketplace and um, how, how you look after yourself, that I think that's really, really important. Um Anything else you want to add, mate? I know we we touched on where to find you guys. You're listening in, or if you ha- if you've listened to this, definitely go to the YouTube version of this. Even jump over to Lukey's two channels he mentioned earlier, and the links will be down below. Um, and go back to the earlier episodes we recorded. Also, mm. uh, so much information in there that is more relevant probably now that a lot of things have played out from when Luke was like literally had his crystal ball out again, charts and cycles pretty good at predicting things um yeah is there anything you want to close with brother um i probably the the only thing i haven't mentioned um is actually i think the past 12 months uh for bitcoin has actually been the most bullish 12 months in bitcoin's life and people will hear that and they say what bitcoin's down 70 percent in price what are you talking about um i think the past 12 months we've watched central banks all around the world blow up um, so the Bank of England's printing money with inflation above 10%. The Bank of Japan's printing money with inflation going wild. You're watching the RBA prove that it can't raise interest rates. And what you're watching is financial market meltdown. The financial system is changing more rapidly than it has in the past 50 years. You're watching the biggest and safest currencies all around the world lose 20 or 30% of their value against the US dollar, which is losing 15% of its value against goods and services. Like this is all a massive advertisement. Um, saying, hey, the the financial system is broken. You need a solution to this. I personally think Bitcoin is the solution. The only reason it's down 70% in price over the past 12 months is because it's been caught in the crosshairs of what I think is probably one of the largest liquidity runs um, in financial markets of the past 50 years. Um, Like stocks and bonds, typically the most safest assets in the world. They're the things that your superannuations and your 401ks invest in. They've just had their worst performance their worst yearly performance in centuries um so i think it's um everything's been sold off even the safest um, bond market that's worth hundreds of trillions of dollars it's having its worst performance in hundreds of years bitcoin's a tiny one trillion dollar asset that's just getting caught up in this liquidity squeeze so um i personally think everything that's happened over the past 12 months is only going to accelerate the adoption um to bitcoin um, so yes, the price may be down at the moment, but I think it's a brilliant, I think it's actually a generational, uh, buying opportunity today in the 2020s. That's probably, that's probably all I've got, uh, for you today, Steve. I, I shield my podcast and my YouTube channel earlier. Um, I spend all of my time on Twitter. I commonly tell people it's the only social media platform that I'll use on a semi-regular basis because it's the least censored. And, um, there's a lot of very interesting conversations that are facilita- facilitated over there on Twitter. So I'd recommend everyone go and check that out for sure. Awesome, brother. You're a legend. Champion. 
This has been another edition of the Wild Man Revolution podcast, uh, highlighting men in their genius zone doing great things in the world. You are doing great things, Luke. Good to chat. Um, look forward to having you on next time, mate. Thank you so much for having me on, brother. It was amazing.